morning. It is uh, good to be back with you all. I do thank you for your prayers in our absence. And if you are a member and forgot to pray for your pastor, then that is okay. Um, I, I am thankful for you and thankful that we can be together again. Uh, again, I send you greetings uh, from brothers and sisters in North Georgia. Uh, it was a glorious time to be able to gather with some sweet saints up there as we worshiped uh, this past Sunday with some uh, dear friends and family. And as we had the opportunity for our kiddos to go up to the camp that they help out with, uh, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time to be away. But we are thankful to be back. Again, I am not thankful to be back in the heat that we have here. Um, I am missing the cool weather a little bit today. But again, I'm thankful to see you and thankful that we have the opportunity to worship. And I wish I could say that this uh, heat is going to eventually go away. But I know better now. I've been here for five years. Um, we're in July. It's just going to get hotter. And then August is going to happen. And then I've learned now about this African dust that covers Florida, and it's coming. And so here we go. Hurricane season is upon us. And so uh, anyway, all that to say, I'm thankful to be together, thankful to be back with you, and thankful for what the Lord is going to do. Again, I do want to thank Corey for being so faithful in preaching the text and preaching the Word of God this past week. As we have said many times already, we've seen this already in 1 Corinthians as well. It is good for us as a body of believers to have multiple voices who can proclaim the Word faithfully. And so I'm thankful to Corey for that. I'm thankful for Forrest and our elders and just the opportunity to hear uh, each of these men uh, stand before us and proclaim the Word of God. And as we said a couple weeks ago, the multiple voices are good for us because God gave them to us for our benefit. So with that being said, uh, we're going to continue to move on in our series, a series that we've called Holiness, uh, The Church's Calling and the Challenge. And today we find ourselves at the beginning of First, uh, first Corinthians uh, chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can begin to go ahead and turn there. But before we jump into our text, I want to remind you all that as we've continued to read and study through this letter, and clearly we've got a long way to go, but eventually we're going to get through this letter in its entirety, we are seeing Paul call the Corinthian Christians really to begin to assess and to evaluate their own personal holiness. So I want to ask you, as a way of reminder, are we ourselves examining our own personal holiness as we continue on in this letter? Now, by now, I hope that really, as we've gotten to this point in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I hope by now that you've been encouraged by the Word of God. But at the same time, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, I hope as well that you've been challenged to grow in specific areas where maybe in yourself, as you've read through this letter, you've found some, some deficiencies within your own life and within your own personal walk. Well, as we continue today, we will continue to see that Paul is going to now continue to challenge the Corinthian Christians, if you will, by asking them a very simple question, and that is this, how should we be viewed? Now, I ask that question in light of a follow-up question I want to ask you this morning. Have you ever stopped to consider how people view you or how people see you? I mean, here's the reality. If you ask anyone any type of question today, I would imagine that most of the people we know, if not all of them, have an opinion on everything that we could possibly ask them about. So have you ever stopped to think or even consider 
what people think when they find out that you are here today on a Sunday morning attending the local church? Have you asked them? Have you asked them maybe what do you think when they find out that you're a Christian? Because here's the reality. When people find out if if you are a professing believer in Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, you will quickly find out that in this country in particular, everyone has an opinion on what they think about Christians. Some of those opinions are informed. Some of them are not. But nonetheless, they have an opinion. Now, these are all good questions for us to ask those around us. However, I think Paul is going to get a little more personal than that in our text this morning. You see, he's going to challenge the Corinthian Christians not just to to think upon what others think, because remember, it was the Corinthian Christians whose sin revealed that they were already focused on what other people thought. Remember, their their sin was all about their own self-worth, their own prominence, their own status. So they were already fixated with the idea of what people think about them. So this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is going to say to them, but what about you? What do you think of yourself? What do you believe is your call as a member of a local body? So as we get into our text this morning, we're going to see Paul answer his own questions. And then ultimately, he's going to challenge the Corinthian Christians on how we should be viewed, or better yet, how we should view ourselves. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we are only going to get through the first five verses this morning. So if you have found your place in the Word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, if you can and you're able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word. Again, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted, for it is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, if I could be fair this morning, I want you to understand that Paul in this moment is speaking specifically to the call and the responsibility of the leaders within the church, particularly the pastors within the church. Again, remember the problem that was facing the Corinthian Christians was an internal problem. They were, they were dividing themselves into factions based upon who they followed, whether it was uh, Paul that they followed or whether it was Apollos or whether it was Peter himself. So upon initial reading, really what we're getting a glimpse of is the responsibility of the pastors themselves and how they should faithfully lead. However, 
I believe it's important for us to study this text because I believe that what Paul is sharing can and should be something that we all measure within our own lives as we continue to strive and grow in our own personal holiness. You see, Paul is literally teaching us that everyone who calls themselves a believer should be faithful to God, and not only faithful to God, but faithful in the task given to them by God to one another. But at the same time, Paul cautions the church and says that again, as believers in Christ, we are in no position to sit in judgment over others. Now again, when we speak of judgment here. We're not talking about a, a righteous judgment where we can, we can look upon someone's lives and for the purpose of accountability, question them and, and ask them about, about the sin issues that they're dealing with and how that contradicts the Word of God. That's not the type of judgment we're talking about. Rather, the type of judgment that Paul has in mind is when we, when we look upon someone and we assess them based upon our personal views or better yet, our personal preferences. And Paul's going to have way more to say about this in just a moment. But in our text collectively, I want us to see that Paul reveals that there is no sin in his own life that has disqualified him from his call. And again, he's not saying that he never evaluates his own call, but rather he's in his own life when he does evaluate his life, he has not seen nor is aware of any unfaithfulness within his own ministry. Thus, Paul then says to the Corinthian Christians, we are not the judge. And oh, by the way, when I say judge here, Paul means capital J, judge. Therefore, as believers in Christ, as people who are imperfect, let us not think for a second that we can judge someone based upon how we believe they are being effective. Paul's then going to close by saying that the Lord will one day return, and, and when the Lord returns, that he is the one who is going to be the one who can judge, because only God can judge the motives of man. Only God himself can judge the heart of man. And so then and only then will man be truly revealed, and God will reward based on man's work and his motivation in the work. So again, this morning, let's look and see how Paul leads the Corinthian Christians in light of the coming judgment to answer the question, how should we be viewed? Well, Paul literally gives two answers to this question. The first is found in verses 1 and 2 when Paul says, as Christians, we should be viewed as servants and as stewards. If you would, look with me in verses 1 and 2. Paul says this, and this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Now let's just pause there for a moment because I want us to notice how Paul opens this text by getting right to the point. He says, listen, if we're going to assess one another and we're going to assess ourselves, then let's make sure that when we do this assessment, we can be viewed as a servant of Christ or better yet, as stewards of the mysteries of God. Now again, if you were one of those people that highlight or underline or circle in your Bible, I would circle the words servants and stewards here. You see, as servants and stewards, we have been given the word of God. 
Paul says that we have been given a sacred trust when it comes to knowing the good news of the gospel, when it comes to knowing the word of God. And therefore, as those entrusted with this sacred trust, we are not free to innovate or create or add or take away anything from what the word of God says. Let me unpack that a little bit further. We cannot make the church what we want it to be. Only the Word of God does that. We cannot make up a call upon someone's life. Only the Word of God can do that and the Spirit of God at work in another's life. We cannot all of a sudden redefine what the Bible has made definitive. You see, when it comes to being the church, being a body of believers gathered for the purpose of glorifying God, we have already been given a specific calling. We have been called to worship. We have been called to to pray. We have been called to to sit under the, the preached word of God. We have been called to mobilize. If you don't believe me, then look no further than Acts chapter 2 and again in Acts chapter 4 when the New Testament church was formed. You see, if we, if all of us are not doing these things according to the word of God, then here's the reality. We, and by we, I mean all of us, are simply missing the boat because we're missing the message. Now, I want us to notice again the word stewards here. Because the word stewards literally means managers. In other words, it means that that we have now been entrusted as managers with a particular task. Now, this is actually the same language that Peter's going to use later uh, in his letter in 1 Peter 4, verse 10, when he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In other words, both Paul and Peter would both agree that we have been given a gift. We have been given a task to faithfully serve the Lord and to faithfully serve one another with. And what is that gift? What is that task? Paul answers his own question. He says it is the mysteries of God. Do you get what Paul is talking about? Paul is saying to us that we have been given the task to serve one another through the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Christians today, we have been entrusted with the task of faithfully serving one another by sharing the truth of Jesus Christ crucified and Jesus Christ resurrected to all of those around us. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to ask you this morning, are you sharing that which has been entrusted to you? Now, if you notice in the text, Paul doesn't just stop there with the calling of being a good servant and a good steward. He simply doesn't just stop at, at sharing the gospel as our only call, nor is he saying this as, a, as a, just a word of encouragement at this moment. No, he actually goes one step further when he calls the Christians now to be faithful to that call. Look with me at verse 2. He says again, moreover, it is required of stewards 
that they be found faithful. Again, I would highlight or circle the word required and the word faithful here. And again, I would point your attention to the word stewards because again, he's talking about all of us as Christians. So do you hear what it is that Paul is saying? Are you understanding what it is that Paul is writing here? He says to us, it is required. In other words, it is imperative. Better yet, it is commanded. Paul says, listen, there is no getting around this task as a Christian. And so Paul says that we are required to be found faithful of being good managers entrusted with gospel proclamation. In other words, we're not just encouraged to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We are now commanded to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So when it comes to to gospel proclamation for the believer, it is a matter of faithfulness. In other words, there is now no excuse for someone to say that we are not called to share our faith. There is now no excuse for someone to say that we are not called to invite those around us to come and be a part of what the Lord is doing through the gathered body of believers. Now, many people have argued this point. Many people have tried to to downplay the necessity of of gospel proclamation. They've tried to downplay the necessity of of inviting people to church. It's it's been wild to kind of see how the spectrum has has swung over the past 10 years. There There have been some people who have said this, well, here we are in a church that leans in a more Reformed tradition, and since we are more in a Reformed tradition, we no longer believe in missions because we know that God is going to work that out and we don't have to worry about it. Who said wrong? Was that you, Jared? You you should come take the rest of this. You got it. You got it. There are other people who swing the other way and say things like this. They say that, that, listen, when it comes to churches that that have that sort of leaning, that that for whatever reason, I'm going to pick up the Reformed folks for a little bit, that lean that way, all they care about is people who look like them and think like them and breathe like them and, and, and smell like them. And for those folks, I say this, man, are you kidding me? I think Paul would even say that. If, if Paul could use modern vernacular, I think he would say, really? Like, come on, you got to be kidding me, right? I mean, first of all, think about this. Why, why are we so hung up on divisions in the gospel as if there's some sort of dividing line? Like, that's what I don't understand. The only thing that divides in the gospel is whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is the dividing line. That is is where history shifts. Let me say this for some people, and this is a struggle. I actually said this to someone not that long ago. I said, listen, when it comes to the kingdom of God, there are no compartments in the kingdom of God. There are no separate buildings in the kingdom of God based upon your preferences. In other words, there's not going to be a block for Baptists although they may have the best chicken. There's not a block for Presbyterians. There's not a block for for Methodists. There's not a block for Arminians. There's not a separate block for Calvinists, though they may have the seats of honor at the front. I'm kidding, by the way. I'm joking. Stop that mess for a moment. Secondly, I want to say this. 
For those who want to divide over traditions, let's just take a look at the the early reformers and, and their thoughts on missions for a moment. Notice great men like John Calvin, a man we often quote from this pulpit. John Calvin sent, not only just gave us incredible truths and, and discipling lessons from the Word of God, he was a man who also sent missionaries into France. He had discipled up men and sent them as far away as Brazil. Then we have men like John Eliot, a missionary who was sent to the American Indians in 1600, and it's believed that if William Carey is the father of the modern missions, then John Eliot is clearly the grandfather because of the influence that he even had over William Carey. And so the list goes on. Men like William Carey, we just spoke about, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, William Tennant, David Livingstone, Adoniram Judson, Charles Simeon, John Stott, just to name a few. What's my point? Well, as our church fathers would say this morning in affirmation of Paul's words, stop making excuses for not being faithful to the call of gospel proclamation. We are without excuse as brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. Whether you want to believe it or not, God has you in this moment right now where he wants you. And so Paul says, be faithful servants. Be faithful stewards. Share Jesus. Be the church. Put your yes on the table and watch God do the work. You see, here's the reality. At the end of days, we are going to be the ones responsible before God for the work and the task that he has entrusted to us. And so Paul, in speaking to the Colossians later in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, says this. He says, listen, every day is a new opportunity, so make the most of it. And sadly, here's what happens in many of our churches. Many will miss the mark. Why? Because Because people believe that it is possible to call yourself a believer and yet not be faithful to the call. John Calvin actually said it better than that. He said, for everyone that teaches the truth is not necessarily faithful. But only he who desires from the heart to serve the Lord and advance Christ's kingdom. Brothers and sisters, let's be faithful to the call. When we view ourselves, let's make sure we can view ourselves as a people willing to serve the kingdom. A people willing to steward with faithfulness the power and the wonder and the mystery of the gospel. So I want to ask you this morning, if you were to to pause for a moment and examine your own life, can you say today whether or not you are being faithful to the call? Can you say today, if if we were just to pause for a moment and ask the question of ourselves, are you being faithful to the gospel? Are you being faithful with the task of of gospel proclamation, not only to the community of of body of believers for the purpose of encouragement and edification, but are you also being faithful to gospel proclamation with those who live around you that desperately need to hear the word of God? I mean, again, let me encourage you, look no further than Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and see what it is that the early church was committed to together. And then ask yourselves, are you committed to those same things? 
Or are you here today and you feel like that maybe you're doing too much? Maybe you don't have the time. Maybe you've compartmentalized your faith and said, well, I've got more important things to do and I'll get to the gospel later. If that is you this morning, then let me say to you in grace and with love, what could possibly be more important than sharing Jesus Christ? What could possibly be more important than sharing life on life together with the local body of believers? Let me encourage you to faithfully serve Christ, serve one another, faithfully manage the call to share and live for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that, as Jesus says in his own words, in in John chapter 13, verse 35, so that people will know us by our love. Let us be faithful servants. Let us be found to be faithful stewards. I want us to notice, secondly, that Paul gives us another way we should or should not be viewed. In verses 3 through 5, he goes from saying that we should be viewed as as servants and viewed as stewards, and then we get to verses 3 through 5, and he says this, and we should not be viewed as judges. Look with me again, verse 3. Paul says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted, for it is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Now again, when we say that we are not to be viewed as judges, no, I am not talking about judges in terms of the pseudo-heroes that we read about in the book of Judges. Not talking about that. Yes, I do again recognize that there is a thing called righteous judgment where we as believers in Christ, according to the word of God, we do call out sin. We call out things that are unacceptable according to the word of God. We hold one another accountable because we want to grow in our own righteousness. We want to grow in our own holiness. And yes, believe it or not, there may come times where we actually need to flip some tables every now and then. Sometimes just for fun. But this is not what Paul is talking about here. Rather, what Paul is talking about is a more surface level of judgment where we think we sit and we can determine whether someone is worthy enough to be one of us based on how they appear. It's when we sit and determine whether or not someone is worthy enough to be one of us based on how they talk or how they lead. Paul would say that's arrogant. In fact, Paul says in verse 3, he says, but with me it is a small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Notice what Paul tells the Corinthian Christians here. He says, listen, I am not concerned with your assessment of me. You see, Paul's not worried about their personal opinions of him. He's not worried about whether or not they follow Paul or whether or not they follow Peter or whether or not they follow Apollos. And Paul goes one step further. He says, in fact, I don't even judge myself by those standards. I mean, did you catch what Paul is saying here in this moment? He literally is saying to the church, listen, you have an opinion about me. 
You have an opinion about me in the way I dress. You have an opinion about me in my style. You have an opinion about me in my delivery of the word of God. And you are trying to determine whether or not I am good enough for you to follow or not. Good for you. But Paul says, I don't care. I don't even judge myself by those standards. Now again, Paul's not tossing out evaluation here. Paul's not throwing out self-evaluation at all, but rather what he is saying is that the Corinthian Christians in their own arrogance, in their own limited wisdom and knowledge are beginning to attempt to assess him and the other leaders based upon their style and their leadership and their words. And ultimately what they're trying to determine is who they should follow and how they are now more important than the others. And now they're also trying to determine the reward that those leaders are going to receive. And Paul says, listen, all of this is futile because you don't have the capacity to evaluate the heart of man. Now, let me unpack that for a moment because here's the reality. We now live in a world where we often evaluate a man's worth or ability based on wins. I mean, look no further than sports. I love sports. I love a lot of things. I love sports. But I'm amazed at how all of a sudden a coach who is two years removed from winning a national championship has one losing season and he's fired. I'm amazed at how all of a sudden when things get difficult for, for someone in life, all of a sudden they're, they're removed from that position just for one hard season. But you see, this isn't just a sports world problem. This is a church world problem as well. How many times have we seen and heard a pastor being fired simply because they didn't win enough? How many churches have fired pastors, pastors that they believed were called by God simply because they didn't grow fast enough in a certain time? Now, again, I am all for growth. I want to see growth. I want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. I want to see people come to know the relationship and what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. I'm all for it. However, let's be careful that we don't begin to judge one another and measure one another's faithfulness based on how big our church is. Or better yet, how big our gospel community is. Or how fast our church is growing. I mean, I'm reminded of this every year. Every year I get the opportunity to attend some good conferences. Some are really good, some are just okay. But one thing I've noticed within our own convention life is I've noticed this. When it comes to guys who are on the platform, generally speaking, it's the megachurch pastors that are doing all the talking and the megachurch pastors that are doing all the leading. Now, while I am thankful for these men, and I have nothing, no problem with these men, I have no problem with their accomplishments. I recognize that the megachurch represents less than 1% of our convention. Churches that are like us, our size, this represents over 90% of our convention. So when it comes to, to gathered meetings of conventions, I'm, I'm almost at this point personally, and this is kind of a preference thing, and I recognize that, but I trust the Lord with whoever is put on that platform to faithfully teach and encourage and edify me as a pastor in a way that only the Lord can do. And so I trust God with that, but, but here's the reality. If I could infuse my preference here at this point, I would say this, give me the brothers who are leading small churches. Give me, give me the brothers who are in the trenches with the people who are, who are celebrating great victories, seeing people come to faith, who are baptizing people in, in horse troughs. 
Give me the brothers who are dealing with, with falling down buildings, trying to, trying to revitalize those things, and who are dealing with great struggles. Give me those guys, because that's 90% of who we are as a convention. But again, that's a personal preference. And so I have to check my own pride and my own preference at the door and trust what it is that the Lord is doing. Now notice what happens from here in the text. Verse four, Paul continues. He says, for I'm not aware of anything against myself. Now, again, I told you, Paul does do some self-reflection. He does do some self-evaluation. And ultimately, he comes to the conclusion that he has done nothing wrong or nothing sinful that would disqualify himself from his ministry. But what Paul is doing in this moment by saying these words is he's trying to make a much bigger point to the Corinthian Christians, which he does in the second half of verse 4. He says, but I am not thereby acquitted for it is the Lord who judges me. Notice that Paul teaches that the Lord will be the one who gives the most definitive assessment of his ministry. This is important for us because because you had some people who, amongst the Corinthian Christians, some people thought that Apollos was a greater leader. Some people thought that, that Peter was a greater leader. Therefore, they were sitting in judgment over all those who, who followed Paul, again, based on personal preference and personal style. And here Paul reminds the church and says, listen, your preference is important, but it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things because you are not the judge. I am not the judge. Only the Lord is the one who has the final say. Therefore, don't presume judgment on anyone because only the Lord will do that. And he will do it on the final day. You see, the Corinthian Christians were engaging in an evaluation of their own ministers based upon their own personal preferences. And so Paul says to them, stop, stop. For your personal preferences are based on limited wisdom and very little knowledge. Now, why would Paul say this? Because verse 5, he answers his own question again. He says, for the Lord, the Lord is the one who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. In other words, God will bring to light the hearts of all men on the last day. And oh, by the way, when I say all men, I mean all peoples, all of us. And so I want us to think about that because again, Paul, again, is talking about the pastors. He's talking about the leaders, but, but I think here at this point, we need to do some of our own self-reflection. I want to ask you this question. What is the Lord going to bring to light about your own heart on the last day? Is he going to bring to light that, that we faithfully served, that we faithfully stewarded the mysteries of God, which is the gospel itself? Or will he reveal a heart of stone, a heart of judgment, a heart that seeks to do all things for our own glory? I love what Thomas Schreiner says about this point. He says, human beings cannot make a judgment on the motives of the heart since we cannot unfailingly discern the motives of others. Nor, he goes one step further, nor are we able to plumb the depths of our own hearts. Do you hear that? 
in the midst of judging others over our own personal preferences, not only are we revealing our lack of wisdom and understanding, but what's screaming out from the bowels of our soul is that we don't even know ourselves. When we stand before judgment and our life is laid bare before the Lord, I can't imagine how many people are going to find themselves in a moment going, I did not know that about me. I mean, think about that for a moment. If you're married, you probably understand this all too well. You, you all of a sudden live a single independent life and then all of a sudden you find yourself married to someone and then all of a sudden it, it just reveals your flaws. I mean, it really does. I'm going to be honest. Like when I got married, I thought I had it all together. I had a plan. God was good. God blessed. I was looking forward to it. And I quickly found out I got a lot of flaws. I mean, I realized my wife took on a fixer-upper. <laughs> and she's still working through it today. Now, if that's what a marriage will do, imagine what happens when the sovereign king of the universe who spoke all things into existence, who hears our hearts. Imagine what's going to happen when our lives are laid bare before him. So what does this mean for us? It means this. We've got to stop putting our personal preferences in the forefront of all things. Because when we begin to focus more on our personal preferences, this is when we become the judge. And the reality is this, God alone judges the heart. All will be revealed on the last day. And as verse 5 closes, it says, and each one will receive his commendation from God. In other words, the Lord will give to each person what it is that he deserves. Why? Because the Lord and the Lord alone is just. The Lord alone understands the motives of the heart. The Lord alone knows everything about us. But thanks be to God that that's not the end of the story. He's not just just, but praise God when our souls are laid bare before him and all of a sudden we realize what a wreck we are, what a mess we are. Praise be to God that he's not only just, but he's also justifier. So we're going to be able to stand in grace because of Jesus Christ. Man, let's not be a people who believes that we sit in any kind of seat of judgment based upon our preferences. But rather, let's continually walk in faith, seeking to serve and seeking to steward the mysteries of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, how do we apply this to our own life? Let me give you a simple example. When you begin to think or feel that you have been wrong, before you make an accusation, before you convict, ask yourself questions. Ask yourself questions, even of the person that you feel that has wronged you. Seek understanding before you get angry. Because remember, as brothers and sisters in Christ, called to be holy, we are called to fight for unity, being united in Christ. Because that is who we are. That's what it means to be called to holiness and not called to judgment. So again, I ask, what do people see when they see us? Better yet, when you've assessed your own life, how should we be viewed? As God's people, my prayer is that those called and challenged to be holy, I pray that we are found to be faithful. 
I pray that we are seeking to, to steward the wonderful gifts that God has given us for the glory of God, but for the good of those around us. I mean, if we're going to be known for anything as a church, then let it be known that we faithfully shared the mysteries of God, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in him. Again, our job is not to judge based on personal preferences, for when we do, it again reveals our lack of understanding and our lack of wisdom. But let's remember that only the Lord knows the true heart of man. And again, at the end of days in our lives, it will be the Lord who will bring the secrets of man to light on the day of judgment. And all of us will face that day. But until that day, remain faithful, effectively managing what it is that has been given to us, serve one another as if you were serving Christ and be faithful stewards of the glorious gospel that has been given to us by grace alone. I want to leave you with a quote. Another man I mentioned earlier, Adoniram Judson. If you don't know Adoniram Judson, you should read about him. Missionary to Burma, translated the Bible into Burmese, established multiple churches in Burma. And he said this, and I quote, the motto of every Christian, the motto of every missionary, whether preacher, printer, or schoolmaster ought to be this, devoted for life. My prayer is that would be our heart and our passion as we answer the question, how should we be viewed? May we be viewed as a people devoted for life. Let's pray together. May the glory know.